I've been asking if anyone would like to try to memorize the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12, and I wonder if one of the brothers this morning would like to stand and share that from memory with us. Hebrews chapter 12, the first three verses. Open format. We'll help you if you want to take a stab at it from your translation. I'll help you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. We have talked uh, about the way, and we have talked about the witnesses, and we have talked about the weights. Someone commented last night after the message, and I perhaps there I should clarify a, a little word of clarification when I talked about sometimes our families can be weights. Now, that is, <laughs> that's a very difficult area to go into because children who still live at home under the authority of their parents are encouraged by Scripture, yea, commanded by Scripture, to obey their parents. And sometimes a child may be saved. They may be more spiritually minded in many ways than their parents, but they're still under the authority of their parents. And that has to be taken into consideration. A child is not to rebel against their parents unless there is some moral issue there that they just absolutely cannot obey. In most cases, that is not the reason. And sometimes there might be a ball and chain in a relationship. One saved, one not. And God has never told us, because you're a Christian, to leave your husband or to leave your wife. He has told us to be a, a testimony and a witness to them. Now, in some cases, things happen. I understand. But just because you are a Christian doesn't mean that you're exempt from the, from the commitments and the dedication of marriage. And so that has to be taken into consideration. The story was one lady who was saved, her husband was not. She decided she was going to go to church. It was Sunday night. He said, you're not going anywhere. You're going to cook me a meal. She said, I'm not going to cook you a meal. She went over to the door. She put on her coat. She grabbed her Bible, and she said, I'm going to church. He pulled out a pistol out of the drawer and cocked it and aimed at her and said, if you go to church, I'm going to shoot you. She said, if you don't shoot me, I'm going to church. <laughs> well, listen, that is not the way to win your husband. That is not the way to win your husband. 
you ought to be in a quiet and meek spirit, in a submissive spirit. I believe in that case, that woman should have cooked the best meal that she ever cooked for that man. She should show him that by being a Christian, she is a better wife and a better mother. And God is big enough to take up the slack in those situations, believe me. So just a little clarification in case you thought that I was trying to give you the total liberty to act independently in any given situation in the family. I was not intending to do that. Now, when it comes to the problem of sin, uh, I actually really don't know where to start. It's such a big problem. But I can tell you it's a problem in the world. It's a problem in society. It's a problem in our heart. We have the tendency, of course, to blame it on somebody else. That's what the first couple did. Adam, where are you? Well, Adam had hid. Why had Adam hid? How are you going to hide from a God who's everywhere? That's kind of interesting, isn't it? He says in Jeremiah 23, Am I a God at hand and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? Much less hide. Hide in the garden. Hide among the trees. Go back and do a little study sometime in Genesis 2 and 3 and find out what the trees represented in the garden. Um, Adam was afraid. It was good for him to be afraid because he had sinned. We have lost our fear of God in the society in which we live. We even wear T-shirts say no fear, and ball caps say no fear, and bumper stickers that say no fear. I was fishing on a river in northern Ontario one time, and it's a it's a secluded river, and and I had a favorite spot, and I got there, and somebody was in my spot. Only two of us, and you know, thousands of acres, and this guy's in my spot. I started talking to him, and every other word he used the Lord's name in vain. Finally, I said to him, Excuse me, sir. I said, You speak often of a friend of mine. He said, I do? I said, Yeah, the Lord Jesus Christ. You use his name in vain every time you open your mouth. I said, Don't you fear God? He looked at me and he said, I don't fear anybody. I don't fear anybody. And I said, Well, you should fear God. Because one day, you're going to give an answer to why you used his name in vain like that. He said, really? I said, yeah, that's what the Bible says. Thou will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. But people don't care today. They honestly do not care. Sin runs rampant. Matter of fact, we have redefined sin. What used to slink down the back alleys of our street walked brazen right down Main Street today. And we got our rights. The word homosexual was a word I could not say when I was a boy. It's common table talk today. It is amazing. One little boy said to his friend, he said, My dad can beat up your dad. He said, No, he can't. He said, Yes, he can't. No, he can't. Yes, he can. No, he can't. Yes, yes, he can, because my dad made a list of everybody in the neighborhood that he can beat up, and he put your dad at the top of the list. <laughs> he said, we'll see about that. So a little boy runs home, and he says, listen, my friend said that his dad had a list of everybody in the neighborhood he can beat up, and he put you at the top of the list. Dad, what you going to do about that? He said, you come with me. 
They walked down the street, walked up to the door, knocked on the door. This big guy comes to the door. He said, my son said that your son said that you had a list of everybody in the neighborhood you could beat up, and you put my name at the top of the list. He said, you can't beat me up. He said, what you going to do about that? He said, I'm going to take your name off the list, he said. <laughs> but you know, that's exactly what we have done with sin, isn't it? As a boy raised in Mississippi, in high school, if a girl got pregnant, she disappeared. I don't know. She just went up north somewhere, out west somewhere or something. It was such a shame to the family that they just got her out of sight. Our schools now have daycare programs for unwed mothers. They have programs for young ladies who are pregnant in high school. And it just seems to be the accepted thing. If somebody lived together in the little town that I grew up in, in Sardis, Mississippi, they were outside of the community. They were down by the river or they were out in the woods somewhere because even though a lot of people may have done it, it was a shame in society. Common law living was not accepted. Is it accepted today? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The things that we used to call sin are not sin anymore. We have begun to accept sin. I can only say to you this morning, nothing has changed in heaven. God didn't change His standards in heaven. Someone said this, All the water in the world, no matter how hard it tried, could never sink a ship unless it got inside. All the wickedness in the world, the evil and the sin, could never sink the soul's craft unless it gets within. Folks, that's what's wrong with us today. We've been bitten by the serpent. We got the fatal venom in the veins, and all of us have been contaminated with sin. And we justify it, and we rationalize it, and we excuse it, and we justify it. But listen, it is sin, and God has not changed His mind concerning sin. In the Scriptures, let me give you some definitions of sin. It goes like this. Sin is breaking God's laws. We won't turn to these passages, but just listen. It's in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. Sin is breaking God's laws. Some of you broke God's laws this week. You just went against your conscience. You just did things. You knew it was right, but you didn't do it. Or, or you knew it was wrong, and you did it. Breaking God's laws, moral laws, laws of society. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting to me that in the Old Testament, God talked uh, about sin in Israel over and over and over again. Now, that was His people. Not the heathen, but His people. Now, just listen to what He wrote to His people. He, 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 he tells us in, in the Word of God that we need to be right with Him in order to have a blessing. That, that is the people of God. Uh, let me just turn to a verse. It is a you, you don't have to turn there, but let me just turn there and read it for you because this is a verse that is so often misquoted in the Scriptures. At least, not perhaps misquoted, but not quoted in its entirety. Listen to it. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face. And we often leave this part out. And turn from their wicked ways. Old Testament. You say, well, 
What about New Testament? Well, if you want to turn with me to Romans 13, church age, age of grace, not Old Testament, not Israel, children of God, written to Rome, all that call on the name of the Lord, saints, Christians. Notice, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, what the Apostle Paul writes. Verse 11 of Romans 13, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us, Christians, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, the day of His coming. Not in riot... The Christians now, listen, not in rioting and drunkenness. Not in chamberings, moral issue, or wantonness, materialism, excess. Not in strife and envying. <laughs> I've always been amazed how God put strife and envying right in there with those moral issues. Because we think, well, it's not that bad. Listen, there's some things you don't even have to pray about. If you go to a congregation where there's strife and envy and contention, you can say they are carnal Christians. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us. Are you not carnal and walk as men? There is envy and strife and contention among you. Well, listen, it's sin. It is sin. Let us not walk in rioting, drunkenness, in chamberings, wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and, listen, make no provision for the flesh. That's our problem. We play with it. We see how close we can get to it without doing it. We watch it. We enjoy it. We condone it. We justify it. God calls it sin, and He writes to His people, the church, and he says, God forbid that you should walk in those ways. So sin is breaking God's laws. Again, in 1 John 5, sin is all unrighteousness. Try this one on, James 4 and 17. Anything, sorry, not doing good. He that knoweth to do good, and he won't do it. Well, this God forgets it, right? No, to him it is sin. Anything that is not of faith, Romans 14 and 3, is sin. Sin is wickedness. Sin is disobedience. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is transgression. Sin is iniquity. Uh, anything that is evil, anything that is opposed to God is sin. I, I've, I've enjoyed hunting all my life, and I had a friend who wasn't saved, and he enjoyed hunting, and we were going to go hunting. He said, I know where we can go good bird hunting. I know it's real good. And I said, where? He said, oh, just come with me. I'll show you. He parked the truck, and there was a fence right there. And, and about every 40 feet on that fence, he said, no trespassing, no hunting. He said, oh, don't worry about that. That's the good bird hunting in there. I said, man, we can't go in there. There's a big sign there that says no trespassing. I stayed in the truck, and he went. I wouldn't go. Ten minutes later, he come back out. The owner was in there. <laughs> I was numbered with the transgressors that day. Let me tell you. You know, I didn't want to be there. But how many of us look at God's Word? He puts a great big sign there and he says, Don't go there. We go, Oh, don't worry about that. It is transgressing. It is going beyond the limits that God wants us to. Sin. 
that which is evil, that which is wrong. Listen, uh, God's written His law in our heart. You know it. I mean, it's just there. Yeah, and we're all sinners. I'll prove it to you. Take a little baby, put him there. Take another little baby, put him there. We call them lap babies in Mississippi. I mean, they can't walk yet, but they can crawl around, you know? Give this one a toy and just let him go. It's not long till this one crawls over there, bobs him on his head, takes his toy away from him. Why? Built in. We are by nature children of wrath. You don't have to teach a child to lie. You have to say, honey, don't lie. Tell the truth. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. You have to say, now share what you have. That is the natural bent of the sinner. And by grace and through faith we get saved. But listen, we got to work on that area of our life. So Paul writes to him, or, or sorry, the Hebrew writer writes to him in Hebrews, and he says to them that we are to lay aside every weight in the sin. I believe he is talking to the believers, just like Paul does in Romans. Now, let's ask ourselves this question. Okay, that might be sin, breaking God's laws, all in righteousness, knowing to do good, not doing it, anything that's evil, anything that's not of faith, anything that's on my own, anything that's against God. It's all sin. You say, my word, how would you ever live a day and not sin? Well, you won't. You won't. But I need to be sensitive to sin. I need to be ready to confess that sin. I need to be ready to take it on the chin and own it like David eventually did after Nathan came to him and admit that I'm the man and deal with sin in my life. I'll explain that later. What can I do about sin in my life? Some people uh, respond by saying, well, I can't handle it. Give up. I can't beat it. Uh, it's too much. I can't live like that. It's got me down. That sort of depression. Two days after Christmas one year, I got a phone call. On the other end of the phone was a man who said to me, my nephew hung himself in our spare bedroom this morning. I found him this morning. I could hear his wife screaming in the background. I said, Ike, did you call the police yet? He said, no, I called you first. He said, I said, call the police. I'll be right there. It was about a 20-minute drive. I got there before the police got there, and I saw a most unusual sight. A young man, 18 years old, with a suitcase strap around his neck, hanging on the doorknob of the closet door, just about this high, off of the, off of the floor. Why? Now, the, the young man had a disability. He was totally deaf. He was in a deaf school in... Uh, in, in, in Guelph, Ontario, his parents lived out west. He couldn't go home for Christmas that year. He came to visit his aunt and his uncle. And while he was there, he was at our meeting that Sunday morning. I, I think, I believe, perhaps he was a Christian. I, I, I looked around the room to see if there was a note or anything like that. And I found a tablet, uh, a sketch tablet. And page after page, picture after picture, probably a dozen of them, he had men and women uh, very scantily dressed, but something common about every sketch that he made. They all were shackled. They had balls and chains and handcuffs, and, and, and every one of them, they, they were somehow shackled down. And I looked at that young man hanging, and I looked at that sketch, and I thought, he gave up. 
he gave up. Listen to me, if you know anybody that is suicidal, if you happen to have those thoughts, suicide is not the answer. I know we can get depressed. I know we can get discouraged. And I know we can think there is no hope. Let me tell you, suicide is not the answer. But there are many people who get so depressed, they just give up in life. Like Psalm 107 said, they're at their wit's end. And they don't know what to do. You can treat sin like that. But that is the wrong way to treat it. Uh, Another way you can respond to sin is like this. I'll show you. Now that's rebellion. That's the prodigal son's attitude. I don't want any authority in my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. And uh, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. That is rebellion. That is I don't give a care attitude. You can treat sin like that. But that is not the way to deal with sin in your life, to go your own independent way. Uh, Someone can say it like this. You might respond to sin by saying, I'm not that bad. (laughs) I got a phone call one time. The man said, "My, my father is dying with cancer and he's not a Christian. I'm 3,000 miles away. I can't get home. Will you go visit him? I said, by the grace of God, I will. I go over to the address. I knock on the door. The wife comes. I explain that her son had called me, who I was, that the father was dying. And I said, could I have a few words with him? She said, no, he's too sick. You can't talk to him. They had a hospital bed in the house. She was a nurse. She was nursing him He was in the final stages of cancer. I said, ma'am, I won't be long. I said, it's your son's request. She said, just a moment. That's all you can have. I walked in. Here's a man laying on a hospital bed dying. I don't know him. Let's call him Mr. Bob. I said, Mr. Bob, your son called me, and he wanted me to visit you. And I said, I just wanted to ask you one question. I said, are you a Christian? Do you know the Lord as your Savior? He gathered himself together as best he could, and on his elbows he sort of raised up out of the bed a little bit. He looked at me, and he said, When you compare me with other people, I am not that bad of a man. I said, Mr. Bob, God does not compare us with other people. God compares us with himself. How do you compare with God? He looked at me, he looked at his wife, he looked back at me, and he said, I think it's time for you to go, he said. Three days later, he slipped into eternity. But you can respond to sin like that, can't you? You can say, well, I'm I'm not that bad. I call that uh, not depression and not rebellion, but self-deception. Comparing myself with others rather than comparing myself with the Almighty. Self-deception is, after all, I'm just human. My goodness, give me a little slack. I'm not perfect. But you can respond to sin like that. How about this one? I'm sorry, please don't punish me. That is superficial confession. You're sorry because you got caught. That's why you're sorry. That was what happened to Judas after he realized everything that he had done and and how horrible it was. The Bible says he repented. There was remorse. Of course, it wasn't true repentance. He went to a devil's hell. He was sorry for what he had done. He realized it was wrong, but it was not. It was a superficial confession. In a period of two years, I know three professing Christian couples that got married. Big churches, white dresses, all three of the girls were pregnant. 
They didn't tell anybody. And then when you can't hide it any longer, then they confess it. Now listen, I am not down on them. Everybody makes mistakes. Come on. They need to be encouraged. They need to be helped. They need to be discipled. They, 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 they need some hope. But superficial conf confession is no way to deal with sin in your life. This was wrong. They should have gone and admitted that and confessed that and dealt with that in the appropriate way and not deceive every, everybody else. I say that is superficial confession, not real. Here's another one. I'll hide it and maybe it'll go away. <laughs> then some preacher like me comes along, digs it up. You know, <laughs> you can't get away from it. Be sure your sin will find you out. And did you ever wonder why our assemblies are not more powerful today? Not, not seeing more souls saved today? Could there be that in your assembly there is an Achan? Someone hiding sin in his own home, behind closed doors and pulled drapes, living a life completely apart from the righteousness of God. And not only is it affecting his life and his wife and his family, but it is affecting the assembly as well. Oh, you can try to hide it, but how are you going to hide from a God who is everywhere? God knows, and you know. Here's another way to deal with sin. I'll compensate for it. Oh, that is the merry-go-round, isn't it? Oh, I've done something bad. I'm aware that it's bad. Now, well, I've got to do something good now. And so the problem with that is by the time you do something good, you've done something bad again, and you've sinned again. You say the good will outweigh the bad. No, it won't. The Bible never says that. Listen, you can be a, a great dad. Uh, you can be a great father. Uh, you can be an honest businessman. You can be a great guy in the assembly. But if you get cancer, you get cancer. And all the good things in your life doesn't take the cancer away. And God talks about sin as being a cancer of the soul. It is that which affects us. And no matter how good we are on the outside, if we have unconfessed sin that we are dabbling with and hiding and keeping in our life, all the good you do won't take the sin away. Only the blood of Christ can cleanse us from sin. How about this idea? I'll totally reject the idea of sin. It's just situational ethics. If there's two consenting adults, nothing is wrong, anything that you do. Well, you can say that, and you can promote that, and you can preach that, but I'll tell you, your heart tells you different. Because God has written His laws in our heart, and we know we have a consciousness about it. So what can I do with sin? The first thing i got to do with it is see it how... God sees it. i got to realize that the Scriptures tell me this, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear you. Why do you think you're not... Why, don't, why do you think you don't have more power in your Christian life? Why don't you read the Scriptures more? Why don't you pray more? Why don't you witness more? Are you harboring some sin in your life. Now, in our text, where it says, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets you, let me suggest that in the context of the Christian Hebrews that he's writing to, 
that the sin that most often got them in that day, in that context, at that moment, was rejecting the Savior that they had made a confession to receive and going back to the law system. They were persecuted. Uh, they were hunted down. They were haunted by the, all of the things that they had given up and come to the Lord Jesus. And the, and the sin that so easily beset them in that day was those who went back to the old system. How many times have you tried to quit smoking, quit drinking, quit swearing, uh, uh, being uh, dishonest, and all of those things, and, and the moral issues on top of those things, and said, I'm not going to do that again, but the sin that so easily besets you is that sin that is so well circumstanced. It was interesting, you know, when Jonah wanted to flee, there was a lot of things to his advantage. They just happened to be a ship going to Tarsus. They just happened to have enough money to pay the fare. They just happened. See, that's the well-circumstanced sin. All of us got pet sins. Everybody's got something that stumbles them. Everybody's got something in the closet. Everybody says, oh, I'm not going to do that again, and they do it, and I'm not going to do that again, and they do it, and I'm not, and they keep doing it, and then finally they give up. That was my first reason of how I could deal with sin. You give up. I can't beat it. It leads to depression. It leads to further discouragement. And folks, that's no way to handle sin. How have I got to handle it? See it like God sees it. Name it for what it is. Listen to what James says. Be a, in, in the context of sin, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Can I ask you the question? When is the last time you wept over sin in your life? We make jokes about it. If the man who bore the marks of Calvary were standing here, you wouldn't make any jokes about it. And he is here. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your joy be turned to mourning. Uh, sorry, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Folks, sin runs rampant among us <coughs> in every shape and every form. We need to see it like God sees it. That our righteousness is nothing more than filthy rags before a holy and a righteous God. The second thing i got to do with it is not just say it, not just admit it, not just say, yes, that was wrong. I shouldn't have looked. I shouldn't have said. I shouldn't have went. I shouldn't have done. I shouldn't have thought. And God has convicted me. You know, the Spirit of God is the built-in sin detector. <laughs> when I go to get on an airplane today, you got to walk through security. Man, you got anything on you? Shouldn't be on you. Beep, beep, this thing goes off and there. Here we go through the whole process. Well, the Spirit of God looks into your mind and looks into your heart. He knows every thought. He knows every motive. He knows every word that wasn't said, every deed that wasn't done. He knows what you are on the inside as well on the outside. And I got to admit that, God, you are right. I am wrong. I got to acknowledge that. And I've got to deal with it God's way. Listen to this in Isaiah 1 and 18. Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. God's the most reasonable person you ever met. Though your sins be like scarlet, they don't have to be like scarlet. They can be white as snow. 
uh, though, though they, they, they shall be white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. And let me, just in a little technical way, uh, say this. I don't believe that the blood of Jesus Christ atones for sin. I'm sorry, I just, I don't believe that. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. There's a difference. The blood of bulls and goats atoned for sin in the Old Testament. You will never read in the New Testament where the blood of Jesus Christ atones for sin. In the Old King James, in Romans 5 and 12, you might have, or 5 and 11, you might have the word atonement, but the word there, if you look it up, is reconciliation. The blood of Jesus Christ, let me tell you why that's important. Because if the blood of Jesus Christ only covered up our sin, and 400 million years from now in eternity something uncovered that sin, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? But it can't ever be uncovered because it is gone as far as the east is from the west and the back of God. It is gone. Our sins are gone. Never again to be remembered. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And that is a very important doctrine in the Scriptures. God commended His love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. And we need to understand, God deals with it. How does God deal with sin? cost Him the greatest commodity in heaven. Sin was a high thing to buy. Sin was a high price to be paid for. And it cost God His own Son. Christ died for our sins. If you've been to Calvary and you know that, then your sins have been completely... How many of your sins were future when you got saved? So Christ died for our old sins. Christ died for our present sins. Christ died for our future sins. But that doesn't mean that I can live like the devil. It doesn't mean that now I'm saved, I can do anything I want to. Listen to me. There are two things you've got to understand, and it's this. One, relationship. Two, re uh, uh, fellowship. Relationship and fellowship. Get it down. Get it down, Pat. It'll deliver you from a lot of trouble in your life. I, I have three children. When they were born, they were the children. My wife and I are the parents. That's relationship established at birth. If they were obedient children... We enjoyed the relationship, and we enjoyed the fellowship. If they were not obedient children, they were still my children. We just didn't enjoy, they didn't enjoy being our children. That's the way it is in God's family. We are saved by grace, and when we are saved, we are in the family of God. We're children of God. And as we obey the Lord then we enjoy being in the family. We enjoy that relationship. We enjoy that fellowship. When we step outside of that and disobey the Lord, disobey the Word of God, sin in our life and won't deal with it, it breaks the fellowship, not the relationship. You can't be, listen to me, you can't be unborn. <laughs> you can't take a baby back to the hospital and say, I was praying for a boy and I got a girl, I want to have her unborn. You can't do that. You get what I, you know, you get them as they are. And they're from God as they are. And they're yours. And relationship is established. Now, to enjoy that, you need to walk together and talk together and keep close contact together. Relationship is established at Calvary with a relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're sons and daughters of the Almighty God. 
as I walked with Him, I enjoyed the fellowship. That's the reason we read in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Say, what's that all about? It's not for salvation. That is to restore, you listening to me, fellowship. You're not going to get born again and again and again and again. It, it is that walking with God. It is that enjoyment. Even David knew it in the Old Testament. He said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. But he didn't lose that standing with God. But he lost the joy of that relationship. And he wanted that back. That's what sin does in the life of the believer. And the life of the unbeliever separates us from God for all of eternity. And the life of the believer separates us from God and walking with Him, fellowship with Him. Can't use us. We're dirty vessels. He wants us to be clean vessels. A, uh, a mother says to the little boy, You go out and play, but don't you get in the mud. That's like steel and magnets, boys and mud. You know that. So it wasn't long till it happened. There's just a little mud hole. He was just going to jump over it, but you know he fell in the. Now all you can see is the whites of his eyes. He's mud everywhere. His mama comes out the back door, stepping about this high, and she's got a switch in her hand, and she wears him out. I told you not to get in that mud, and she wears him out. And the only thing now that you can see is the tears washing the mud off his face. And he's got that, you know how they get, you know, they get that, you know. And uh, a mother's heart breaks open and she grabs him in all of his filth and all of the mud. And she gives him a big hug and she says, Mommy loves you. Mommy loves you. And he keeps crying. And she said, Mommy loves you and Mommy forgives you. And he keeps crying. She said, listen, what's wrong? Why don't you just go play? It's okay. It's over. You got the discipline. Uh, I didn't want you to do it, but it's okay. Mommy loves you and Mommy forgives you. He said, Mommy, I can't go play. I'm all dirty. <laughs> you know the routine. Get a man to the bathroom. Strip him down. Clean him up. Put some new clothes on. She stands at the back door and she says, now when you go out there, don't get in the mud. God doesn't just say, I love you. God doesn't just say, I forgive you. He cleanses us from all sin. Get up, Christian! Get up! And get back out there in the race. Sin will weight you down. Sin will destroy your testimony. Sin will ruin your life. Sin will separate you from the race. And we need to deal with it. You say, well, what if I don't deal with it? What if I just harbor it? What if I keep it? Law of the harvest. Law of the harvest. Say, what's that? Well, you reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. Whatsoever a man sows, that also shall he reap. If you've got known sin in your life today, my advice to you is the advice of Scripture. Keep short accounts with God. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, your wrath. Deal with it. Why? Because it breaks fellowship with God if you're a Christian. And it keeps you separated from God for all of eternity if you are not.
May God help us evaluate. Let everyone, every man, woman, and boy and girl examine yourself. And be honest with God this morning. You don't have to live like this the rest of your life. This is the first day. Wouldn't you like to just be forgiven and loved and cleansed and start over today? You can do that by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for these scattered thoughts. Please, by the Spirit of God, would You use them for Your honor and glory and for the sake of Your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.